Hello and welcome to the Banks Fit Podcast with your host, myself, Andy Banks, where we discuss fitness, family and fulfilment. So strap yourself in, whether you're doing the dishes, out for a walk, maybe driving the car, and I hope you enjoy this next episode. How are we doing? I feel like it has been too long since I did a podcast. And in 2024, the main thing that I wanted to start doing more of was long form content. So getting my YouTube game on, getting to do more podcasts, and creating more content that hopefully is helpful for people that want to improve their fitness and improve their life, right? So today I am starting this podcast by changing up the way that I do podcasts. What I'm sort of understanding um, as a business owner, as a dad, as a father, is juggling everything is just crazy. <laughs> like try, trying to keep... Um, trying to grow as a person and trying to keep things moving forward towards your goals whilst also getting more and more responsibilities like you know becoming a dad um it, it's difficult and so i feel like the lesson that i've been learning the past few years certainly has been simplifying things and making things easier to access and i talk about this a lot with my clients when it comes to exercise so you know sometimes people uh, i've got a busy job maybe got one or two kids and they really want to get fitter, they want to get into exercise, but it's quite a big commitment to get, you know, to be maybe going to the gym three times per week. And so it's looking at the barriers, like what is stopping that person from getting into exercise? Well, a lot of times it's lack of time. It's, you know, they don't have the time to spend driving to the gym for 15 minutes there, 15 minutes back. Maybe they've got to prep the clothes, prep stuff for it. And so that prep time is... Um, another sort of five or ten minutes so they've got that prep time five ten minutes they've got the 50 minutes of travel and then they've got the workout itself right which might be 45 minutes maybe an hour and so all that time together is like an hour and a half three times per week it's one and a half hours it doesn't seem like a huge amount of your time right but for someone who is very busy and who has spent a lot of plates this, this can be a big commitment and there's lots of barriers there so there's the preparation there's knowing what to do at the gym and so can we remove some of those barriers? And so for me, it's been about simplifying and removing barriers for me to actually do things. So doing long-form content, the biggest barrier for me um, is the preparation for the content, like planning out what ideas have I got, what am I going to talk about, um, you know, how do I make myself presentable for that, for that time, um, which was a huge struggle when I lived in my uh, older house where I did you know, podcast in the kitchen. So you just have like my wife coming in, making dinner, uh, Evie, my daughter coming in, and it's just chaos. Now I've got a kind of an office space, which makes that easier. So that's took a barrier away. But the other thing has been, yeah, trying to be a, a better dad, a better partner, um, trying to manage a business, you know, because making content is not a business. It's just something that I enjoy doing. And so... Yeah, it's been juggling those things. Hopefully that's making sense and hopefully that's helpful for anyone out there. But yeah, removing barriers. And so the barrier that I'm trying to remove from making content is to simplify how I make it by just having topics. And then I'm going to hit record and I'm going to talk about those topics and then I'll probably do some, some editing, uh, which hopefully there'll be some editing that you're watching right now um, to make it a little bit easier for you to consume. So today's topic is kind of about my, my foray right into understanding money, uh, economics, why I've done that, so why I've, I've tried to learn about money, why I've learned, 
tried to learn about the economy, um, my outlook for 2024, which might seem odd, coming from like a, a fitness sort of person, a personal trainer, that's, that's it. Um, and my goal of becoming a tank in 2024, yeah, and, and hitting some um, fitness goals that I haven't hit at the oldest age that, uh, you know, going on to 34, so I'm getting old for hitting fitness goals, if you like, and juggling that alongside having a second kid, so we are expecting a second child uh, in July, which I'm super excited about, but <laughs> there's, a, there's a tiny bit of dread about, um, yeah, going back to nappies and no sleep. Yeah, let's get into it. So, in terms of uh, how I kind of found myself looking at money and the economy, um, it really happened during COVID. So, cooped up in the house, <laughs> someone, someone is out of personal development, um, and then it suddenly dawned on me that I was 2019-29 and had no pension. Now, my dad had mentioned this a lot um, as I was growing up, make sure that you get a good job so that you have a good, secure pension, because when you get old and you retire, you're going to have to have some level of income. You don't want to just be on the basic pension because you're not going to have a good quality of life when you retire, if that's the case. He'd always went on about this, but, you know, being a young guy, I just thought, well, that's old Andy's problem. And when I started personal training and I got a business, I sort of thought, well, the business is going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to build this business and the business is going to become my pension. So I'm going to build a personal training business and it's going to be able to supply a personal training income uh, in retirement. That's kind of how I see it. Uh, I'm going to get this thing big enough, right? Bit of an ego. I'm going to get this thing big enough that, you know, when I retire, this thing's still going to be running and I'm just going to be like shuffling about some paper and I'm going to make money from it. Or it's going to make enough money that I can just like sort the pension out later on. It's another idea. Um, or I'm going to have a big enough house that when I retire, I'll sell the house and downsize and that will make up my pension. And these are probably common thoughts that lots of people have, right? But then obviously sitting in your thoughts <laughs> during COVID-19, um, I started concerning myself with it because I started thinking of the realities of it. Okay, it's a lot of pressure to think that I'm going to have this business that's going to be good enough, that it's big enough that it can provide an income for me in retirement and that I'm somehow competitive enough for all those years. Yeah, it, it, it's a big ask. So scored that one out like, okay, that's... You know, just put all my eggs in that basket seems a bit crazy. And number two, um, I thinking about uh, making so much money that I can sort of start paying into the pension later on. Like once I've got everything, you know, once I get a house and I get married and the kids and do that, um, and then I'll you know I'll throw more into the pension um, and I'll play catch up if you like. At twenty nine, I'm already playing catch up because some people have been paying into the pension maybe since twenty five or twenty. Some people haven't been in pension at all. Hopefully, I definitely advise that you do that, right? Uh, if you can. But so yeah, start looking at it. Um, what was option three? Sell the house. Yeah, like you, know, you work all that that time. You retire. You have the house, and then you downsize and use that as your pension. Um, it's also a lot of pressure to put on the house to create enough money. You know, it, it's like putting all your eggs in, in one basket. That's what I seen. I looked at it. And went hmm. Um, but obviously. I think maybe becoming a dad as well makes you think about these things more. Um, 
just been a bit older, getting onto the cusp of 30. And so I decided to, so I stick in my head and say, like, understand pensions, understand, like, what my options were. And so then I started looking into my options in terms of a private pension, uh, my own pension. And watching YouTube, as you do, and trying to get as much information as possible, reading some books, I realised that there was kind of two options. So I give my money uh, on a monthly basis to a pension fund, if you like, private pension fund, and they manage the money and they try and grow the money so that I have a pension pot uh, for retirement. Or secondly, I manage it myself. Now being <laughs> the kind of person I am, uh, I, I kind of like to understand things, right? It's probably like a core tenet of my personality is that um, I like to break things down and I like to understand uh, as much as possible about things, okay? Um, especially if there's some personal involvement in them. So like when it came to exercise, I was obsessed about learning every exercise, all the sports science, understanding exactly how I could get into shape. Uh, when it came, came before that to computer games, I had to understand every unique theory about the game, um, all the back storylines and everything. I just had to know everything. Um, and I knew syncrasy. That's what I'm looking for of my personality. So to me, it seemed like, okay, I can give the money to this pension fund and they will take a small fee. Makes sense for probably most people. But for me, it was like, oh, like there's another thing that I can learn. I can try and understand this, how it operates. Also COVID-19, so I had some time in my hands, okay, a little bit extra. So I started reading books, started going, you know, finance experts on YouTube. I decided the route I was going to go was a, a pension, an SIPP, a SIP, okay, self, I don't even know, <laughs> I can't remember, right? So essentially, it's a, a place that you can uh, put your money monthly and you get uh, tax relief on the money that you put in. Um, like any pension pot and so from there you make the investment decisions so I well, did some research and found a certain portfolio that met my risk and then started to hello and welcome to the Banks Fit Podcast with your host myself Andy Banks so we discuss fitness that's how I sort of started my uh so strap yourself in whether you're into 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 that money maybe driving the car sort of and I hope you enjoy this next episode trying to suss out a pension option for myself uh, as I reached 30 and started being concerned that I didn't have a pension. So now I am paying money into that. And a big lesson that I've learned from that is, you know, being a self-employed person, it suddenly dawned on me. Like, I, I kind of knew this all along, kind of in the back of my mind, but it dawned on me that, like, self-employed people don't understand that the money that they make isn't their money. And as I say, I always kind of knew this, but, you know, let's say you're self-employed and you make 30 grand one year. Okay, so 30 grand, if you had a, a job, okay, that was making 30 grand, then you would also have an employer pension scheme, okay, and usually what happens is for, you know, the sort of standard jobs out there, a lot of jobs are better than this, the employer will put 3% of your salary into a pension pot and you'll put 5% in. So you kind of lose money, if you will, on a monthly basis because you've got to contribute to your pension. But you get that little bonus of the employer yeah, contributing three percent as well, and so your pension's looked after. You just you know you got a pension pot building in the background if you like from uh, your wage. As a self-employed person, this is a choice. You have to choose to go and do this, and most self-employed people don't because the money they make 
they either see it as their own money and they then go and spend it, or they see it as the business money and they reinvest into the business. Um, having thoughts, probably like me, when I started my business, that your business is just going to get so big that it's going to be you know, that pension pot for you. You're going to make it so successful that it's going to supply an income for the rest of your life. If you look at the statistical chance of that, for most people, the stats are against you. Like You're not probably going to have an amazing business and it's probably not going to last 20, 30 years, right? Uh, which is sad and maybe it's defeatist, right? But I just think, for me anyway, I like to hedge my bets. So that sort of ties in, I suppose, is like if you, if, if you are self-employed, then you have to factor in, I think when, when we look at how much money we make, we have to factor in what it is in, compa- in comparison to a similar level job, right? It's quite hard to figure out where does a personal trainer lie, right? Um, for me, because my wife works in the NHS, in terms of skill level, is, is it, it depends, maybe, I don't know, I, I think I might be insulting physios if I said it was in the same level as a physio, right? Because you can do a personal training qualification in four weekends. Physio takes a lot longer. So, yeah, not as good as a physio. I don't know where it is, but ballpark, you know, just, just to, to shoot figures. Let's say that a personal trainer in the NHS, if it was an NHS job, would receive, I don't know, 25 30k, just put it out there, 25, 30k, and then the NHS would have a pension fund, which is definitely better than a contribution of 3%, okay, so say you're putting 5% in, and the NHS is beating that with 5%, just for argument's sake. The total of that job is then not the 25, 30k, it's 5% on top of that, okay, so it's another 1.5, 3k, which doesn't seem like a lot, but over a career, it's a long time, if you do it over 30 years, that's 1.5k every year, it's 30, it's 45k, but then also the idea of a pension pot is that it grows over time because the investments are put into the right things wisely and it compounds over time. That 45k might be worth in 30 years, I don't know, uh, steadily put in, maybe it's worth 200, 300k, right? And so you've got a pension pot there of 300,000 that then you can draw down 10%, 5%, uh, 5% a year safely probably. Um, so 10k, you put that onto your basic pension, which at the moment I believe is going to be like 11k. So you've got 21,000. Like if we're talking about real money right now, you're making 21,000 a year in retirement. Okay, if you get that set up. But most people that are self-employed, most personal trainers or self-employed people are just, yeah, they're not thinking about that. They're not thinking about retirement for reasons probably like I was. And so, yeah, I would say definitely, seriously, look into this. So that's how I got pulled in to money, economics. And then it sort of, because I'm just a hungry <laughs> demon for information, it just started making me want to understand the whole economic machine. And really, I don't understand the whole economic machine. Nowhere near it, I think. I understand part of it. But it's, it's sort of scary how when you start learning about it, you understand that the whole world is, yeah, so stacked, so fragile together um, to create our big world that gets, you know, the lights on the house, um, gets people building houses, gets the bricks, gets the wood, gets, you know, secures the credit, the money, all this kind of stuff. Like it, it's just mind boggling, this big, massive machine. And from COVID, from making uh, pension investments 
and then just watching and, and sort of learning. You know, it's made me have a, a deeper understanding, I suppose, of how how money operates, how money really, really operates. Because, like, it just blows my mind that we don't learn this off of school. <laughs> like, you understand how it counts down, um, you can understand how to subtract and add money, but no one tells you about interest rates. Nobody tells you about mortgage rates. No one tells you about um, the importance of your credit score. No one tells you about sort of inflation and the mechanisms of inflation. Why does it happen? These things are not taught at school. And I think they're probably more important for the average person than understanding Pythagoras' theorem, right? Like, who needs to know? Um, I'm pretty sure Pythagoras is it to work out the side of a triangle. I think. I think it is from memory, right? If you need to know that, maybe you need to know that for some like engineering job. But it's quite niche, right? Whereas understanding interest rates, understanding mortgage rates, understanding inflation, understanding um, why our government runs a massive deficit. Like, you know, I used to just sit about and be like, deficit? Like, you just hear deficit in the news and like, oh, the government's, you know, fucking got running a massive deficit. What the fuck does that mean? I don't know. I don't care. Switch the channel. Let's watch something good. Right? No, no need to understand it. But when you do understand it, you're like, shit, I should probably understand this stuff because it's going to inform me to make better choices. Um, when it comes to voting and stuff like that, but, I mean, that's another topic entirely. Is it worth voting? <laughs> right? So, um... So yeah, what's from this, what is my outlook for 2024? And the name of this video is Interest Rates and Lifting Plates. So I think that at the moment, everyone has probably felt um, over the past two years, uh, we talk about the cost of increase. Everyone has noticed uh, inflation, that the cost of things has went up. And there's some numerous factors that fed into this. Uh, number one, you've got the mass print of money. So the government printed a lot of money in terms of stimulus. Um, just an off fancy word just to say they printed money to give to people to make sure that the economic machine kept going that people kept buying goods and buying services um, so that the machine could kind of keep going even though the machine had stopped right people couldn't go to work it, it, they started giving money so that people can keep lights on their house they can keep feeding themselves well the essential services keep going they just you know printed money and gave it out to everyone and the effect of that is there's more money. So if there was a thousand pounds in circulation, they increased it by 50% or 30%, 40%, something like that. So now there's a thousand three hundred pounds. And so the value of each pound is less because instead of just having a thousand and dividing that thousand into everyone, you've now got a thousand three hundred. So the pounds become worth less and therefore the goods and everything go up in price. I hope that makes sense to anyone. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully it makes sense. Maybe I'm preaching to people that already know this stuff, right? Maybe I'm the only one that's blind to it. And so you had money supply goes up, cost of goods and services got up. But then you also have the war in Ukraine. And so you have um, the, um, the war in Ukraine led to oil prices going up because we then said, hey, Russia, you bet. We ain't dealing with you. We're not buying your oil. We're not buying your goods. Screw you, stop being naughty. And yeah, then that means that there was less of those, those, those kind of goods, oil, grain that came from Ukraine. And so food prices, energy prices have then increased. Arguably also, corporations like to run the same profit margins. So not only do the cost of the goods go up, but because the cost of the goods go up and they want to maintain the same profit margin, so they want to have the same amount of, you know, like percentage profit at the end of the fucking accounting year, 
then they stick their profits on top and their profits go up as well. That's why everyone gets angry at the energy companies, right? So, yeah, we've had that. And then, to try and counteract um, the consumption of energy, keeping the lights on, eating food, going out, doing all these things, the government has done the only thing they can, or the Bank of England, sorry, has done the only thing they can, which is to increase interest rates. They've done this all over the Western world. In the developed world, they've started to increase interest rates to make it more expensive for you to go and get money, right? Because a lot of, there's two ways you can spend cash. You can make money to spend cash, or you can borrow money to spend cash, right? We've all done it. You can go and get a credit card, you buy something that you probably can't afford, but you want it. And so you buy it with a credit card, and you pay the credit card up. Or you buy a fancier car that you can't afford cash, and then you pay up. I've got like a pickup truck. It's a lease, right? Um, and so, you know, you're just paying for leasing the vehicle plus an interest payment on top of it. Now, interest rates were really low when I got it, so it made sense to get a lease because it's like, hey, the interest is peanuts. I'll just lease the thing, all right? So, those interest rates going up decreases the amount of money that people have access to because they only have the money that they actually earn. Right, because they become less willing to then take on um, borrowing. Right? They don't want to borrow money. And so that reduces consumption, so people then consume less. And it should, in effect, or what it has done going out in 2024, is start to curb inflation and curb um, consumption. Now, that's where we're coming to in 2024. So that's a very dry topic, but... Um, we're at a point now where inflation has started to dampen, but I have kind of <laughs> decided to call 2020 the 20s the decade of crisis. And I think that's only going to continue because we're at a boiling point with a lot of things that go on in the world. So we've got climate change. So, you know, the world is heating up, the weather is changing, and that's having an effect um, on countries. It's going to have the effect on food is going to have an effect on, you know, it's going to cause people to have to migrate and move into other areas and put more pressure on their resources. So it's going to have a big sort of squeezing effect on the population. You've also got developing countries, that developed countries relied on for cheap goods and cheap labour are starting to become developed themselves, aka the likes of China, right? These people are starting to want the things that we all have. And so... That puts more pressure on the resources. Resources then cost more. And it also means that for the developed countries that have been enjoying having a good quality of life because of being able to buy cheaper goods from the cheaper labour, that labour starts to go up and therefore your quality of life then has to reduce. And so, yeah, there's this big clusterfuck of things going on that just means we're going to probably have level of levels of crisis, I think, in 2020 for the whole decade. Really cheap. <laughs> so my outlook for 2024... With that being said, is I think that we're gonna we're getting to the point where um, interest rates have, interest rates have peaked. So if you know uh, you went to get a loan or you went to get a mortgage, sorry to hear that because it sucks right now compared to what it you know was if you go back five six years ago. Um, then yeah, the interest rates are. Quite really high, really high. They're not really high. Like historically, interest rates sit at what two and a half, three and a half percent, somewhere around there. Um, they're sitting at five point two five, so they're 
above average. They're especially above average for the past period of time because of the financial crisis in 2008. Interest rates were turned right down. And so they've, you know, got to the highest point that they've been in a very long time. An attempt to reduce consumption. And so this year, I think that the interest rates are going to come down. I think that they will come down spring at the earliest, late summer at the latest. I mean, I don't know anything. I'm just a random personal trader that's taking a stab in the dark at economics and finance. So do not make any grand decisions based off what I say. Um, but that's what I expect. I think that the interest rates will come down in the spring or at the earliest and summer at the end of summer at the latest. I think it will come down because the government can't afford to actually pay um, the debts that it has with the interest rate that it's got. Like it's going to have to raise taxes, or it's taxes, sorry, um, or it's going to have to basically increase borrowing, or you know, print print more money essentially to pay the borrowing off. Sorry, um, which I don't think we're in a position to do. So I think they're going to bring the interest rates down. I think that the other reason that the interest rates are going to come down is because inflation is going to start to run out of steam. Inflation can only be fueled by people's ability to absorb the increase in prices. So if the energy companies, for example, wanted to double the energy costs, people could not afford to have double the energy costs and they would miss payments and people would get their, their, their lights shut off and they would have no energy and so the energy costs would start to come down because you know, there'd just be less demand. People would just, they, they wouldn't be able to continue having the same level of demand. There's, there's a point where that happens. And the pressure of interest rates with people now going to maybe remortgage and their mortgage is up 30-40% on what it used to be, that pressure is going to basically create an environment where people just can't keep absorbing the inflation costs and they can't keep allowing the prices to go up and the demand for goods and services is then going to reduce. That demand um, reducing in those services then leads to secondary effects. So companies then have to get rid of workers um, and so on and so forth. And it just, it just snowballs from there. So I think that's going to start happening or there's signs that are going to come in and the Bank of England are then going to turn the interest rates down. Now I don't think the interest rates, the other side of this is the interest rates are not going to go back to like nearly 0%, like 1%, 2%. 2% maybe, maybe, but they're definitely not going to sub 2%. Here's why. Because the government needs the people to continue to buy, this is the other fucked up thing, the government sells um, bonds, if you like, or gilts, which is just like them selling an investment vehicle. So investments can like, investors can basically uh, invest in, in a, gov a government or a country. If you like. So if you want to invest in the United Kingdom, if you think the United Kingdom is a country that is growing and is quite good at paying its debt off, then, you know, the United Kingdom might say, hey, here's a, a, a three-year um, gilt. So a three-year loan to the UK government, so you're like, okay, I'll lend the UK government £100 that they can put into the education services. And in three years' time, that £100, uh, they'll turn around and give you one, three, let's say it's 3% interest. So one, three, 
what we're saying, like £108, right? So in three years' time, let's say they turn around, they, they, they come back to you and say, hey, here's £108. Um, it'd be more than that, would it? Yeah, maybe like 112 I know, I can't, I can't do the mass off the guff, right? But let's say it's £112. So they give you £112 in three years' time. They give you that back, the government, for lending them money so they can spend it on education. So we, uh, in the UK, have what's called a deficit, which just means that we just run up a big debt bill, right? It's like, it's like if I had a credit card and basically, you know, I went and bought a car on the credit card. The car cost um, 10 grand. And then all I did was just pay the interest off of the car. So I've got 10 grand debt, like, sitting in this guy. And the interest is, like, oh, I don't know, a thousand pound a year. I just pay that a thousand pound off a year and keep the 10 grand just sitting in this guy. But all of that. But then next year, I'm like, yeah, I want a bigger TV. So I then go and buy a big fancy telly. And let's just freeze a bit. It's, it's 10 grand as well. It's a thousand pound to service the debt on it. So I've got 20 grand sitting in this guy. And I'm paying two grand in interest every year, right? And so that, that debt in the sky just keeps building. But all I'm doing is just keeping ticking. I'm just keeping the interest, like... I'm basically just, like, keeping it in the sky. Like, let's not fucking worry about that massive debt. Because I'm just going to keep paying off the, 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 the minimum amount. And it can grow, but it's cool because I can always pay the minimum amount. That's exactly how our country is run. It's fucking crazy. Um, so, yeah. I don't know where I was going with this. We're just going to keep paying uh, that minimum amount. But the, the problem is trying to get people that are willing to let us basically keep um, adding to our debt pile, if you like. So people are like, okay, I'll let, you know, I'll give you another 100 quid and you give me the 112 back in three years' time. So people that, we need to get enough people that are willing to give us a hundred quid, right, investors that are willing to invest in the UK and say, here, here's some money, here you just keep, like, running your trade deficit and as long as we get our money back, we're fine. What happens is people might start to be like, yeah, I don't know if it's that attractive to stick money in the UK, like, it's, it's a bit of an old dog, you know, it's been around a long time, you know, it's, it's a bit weathered, America's looking more attractive, Singapore's looking more attractive, India's looking more attractive, China's looking more attractive, they look like a safer bet. And they also, you know, that interest payment. So if, let's say, the UK government's giving 3% on their five-year, China might be giving me 3.5%. The US might be giving me 4%. So it's who's giving me the more attractive return on that uh, little loan that I'm giving, if you like. And then if you also get stocks and shares. So, you know, I could go and invest in companies. Or I could go invest in property. So there's lots of different options for people, for the pension pots and for their investments. And a lot of people don't realise that they're investors. Like if you have a pension, private pension or a company pension, you are an event investor. All the boomers, like all the people like my parents, like that generation, they're like, we hate the rich people. They're, you know, fucking destroying the world. It's like, yeah, why? And you're, they're like, well, because corporate profits, because they own big businesses. It's like, yeah, you also own little slices. You just don't own the big slices like everyone else, but you own slivers, right? Your pensions are like slivers of these investments. So, yeah, capitalism. It's <laughs> a bitch. Um, so, yeah, we want to, a country wants to create an um, uh, attractive story for people to lend it money so that it can then spend that money um, on improving itself. Now, the other thing that they, they can do is a little bit cheeky. 
is they can turn around to the bank and they can say, hey, why don't you print some money, okay? And with the printed money that the bank prints off, you buy some of the bonds, right? You buy some of our debt. We'll take the money and then we'll sort it out later and we'll give you that money back, right? And so that's essentially what happened after the financial crisis. There was huge amounts of money printing. Um, and interest rates were put really low, so the government kind of didn't have to give that much money back. Nobody else was really willing to buy them, but the bank was like, hey, like, <laughs> let's come together, right? Let's be best buddies, let's sort this shit out, right? So the banks don't fucking go bust, and the whole thing doesn't <laughs> go off, and the government manages to, like, keep its citizens fed and, yeah, contained, if you like. So... That's where we're at, and it's the balancing of this fucking bicycle, if you like, of the two wheels of uh, making sure that the interest rates are high enough to make it attractive enough. Uh, or the, yeah, the interest rates are high enough that it's attractive enough um, for businesses to maybe invest and buy bonds in the UK. This is, yet again, what, from what I gather. Also, that... Um, that inflation doesn't, can, you know, increase again, you know, when people don't start consuming more. So that's one wheel. And the other wheel is, you know, making sure the interest rates aren't too high, that people don't have extra money to buy goods and services that then create jobs that support the, the whole fucking system, right? <laughs> that support the, the world. So it's like these two wheels that have to be balanced and interest rates are the frame of the two wheels. And so I think that we are going to, land their interest rates somewhere at around 3% by the end of the year, just from looking at the, the long-term bond market. That's where they seem to be pricing in. So, hopefully that's helpful for someone, right? <laughs> like, if you're thinking about getting a mortgage, maybe hold off. Maybe. Maybe don't know. Like, if you really like the house, fucking get it. Um, but, yeah, that'd be my my two cents. And I am not, like, do not take anything I say. This is all just for fun and entertainment. I have no fucking clue. Let me get it straight. So, Moving on from economics and money and pensions and dry topics of conversation and slightly depressing topics of conversation. How am I going to keep my mental health in good shape this year? How am I going to strive to become a better person other than making sure that I'm look, old Andy's looked after and I've got a nice pension? Is I am going to become a tank in 2024. Um, so over the past, I think ever since Evie came on the scene in 2019, um, mm. My training, even before Evie came along, my training was always, I wanted to do bodybuilding competitions, I wanted to do powerlifting. And it took me a very long time to feel somewhat competitive to actually go and do a bodybuilding competition, which I did in 2017. I didn't even do bodybuilding, I did men's physique, so... Yeah, some people that do bodybuilding, that's, that's not even real bodybuilding. I didn't have to diet as hard, and I have to get as lean, but I just felt that was the only class that was competitive. Um, and natural bodybuilding, so that is what I went ahead and did in 2017. Now, then after that, there was a realisation that when I seen the bodybuilders on stage, when I seen some of the guys, and that's just a local competition, I was like, I need to get fucking bigger. <laughs> I need to get build more muscle. And an understanding that I was also getting closer to the invisible um, genetic limit of, of natural muscle gain. Do I believe 
that there's a limit to the amount of muscle you can gain naturally? Yes. But it's more of a soft thing than like a hard line. You know, it's like you can gain muscle and then it just like tapers off and it gets to the point where it's so freaking, freaking slow that it makes almost no significant impact or visual impact on your physique at some stage. But anyway, I realised that I need to get much, much bigger. And so I then realised also that I was going to have to continue to do muscle building exercises for years and years on end to get bigger. And I was beginning to get a little bit bored of training and get a little bit bored of the rate of gains. It just, you know, maybe I'm pressing fucking 40s. It's like, okay, I'm going to have to train for six months to get to the point where I'm pressing 42 and a halves for the same level as the 40s. That's the nature of the beast. And that's not as fun. And so I started to do, like, conjugate, I suppose, like, training multiple disciplines at once. I, I thought, okay, why don't I continue to do the bodybuilding stuff but also try doing something else, like have a theme every sort of three month block of training where I'm not only doing bodybuilding and strength work, but I'm working on something else. Mobility or trying to do handstands, trying to do muscle ups, trying to fucking run a half marathon, all that kind of stuff. And there was an effect where when you're doing that, it sort of has a negative impact on the bodybuilding and strength training. But I didn't feel like it was enough that I didn't feel like it like it was taking away enough for how much joy it was giving me back to my training. I was actually enjoying training again and actually improving to do all stuff. Which brings me to now, 2024, where I am going to be 34 this year. And this year I was like, okay, I had it mapped out, I had it planned out. I was like, I'm gonna re go back to powerlifting after you know the years of sort of not fine about but doing bodybuilding and strength training whilst also trying to improve other things. And I'm going to go back into the 2024 and I'm going to focus on powerlifting. And that's going to be the only focus. And I'm not going to be worried about if I can try to do a muscle up, try to do a handstand, try to run anywhere. It's going to be squat bench deadlift. And that's the start of this year. And I got a fire in my belly again because all the work that I've been doing over the past, God, six years has given me a better engine has given me better mobility, has, I have grew, I have, the muscles have grown, and so I think that my new peak that I'm able to achieve this year is going to be, the, you know, the strongest I've ever been. So I'm looking forward to it. So far, um, I kind of changed in the strength block at the end of 2023, I had a nice personal best, 150 for 10 high bar squat, it's a lifetime PB. Recently, Benching has been going good. I've changed to a wider grip, going for the maximum legal powerlifting grip, if you like. Um, have I had a lifetime PB? No. <laughs> I haven't on bench. Um, but I feel strong. I definitely feel strong, and I feel like it's moving in the right direction. Same for deadlift. I feel strong. Definitely no, you know, lifetime personal best, but it's going in the right direction. And I'm super excited to see where my strength goes this year. So, yeah, if you... If you're listening to the podcast, you should check out my YouTube if you want to see me train. And if you're watching me on YouTube, then go check out those videos, right? Although they are. <laughs> I'm definitely going to try and improve them because they're a bit long-winded, just like this podcast. Um, so yeah, that is the goal. And it's it's how to juggle that with having a second kid. That's going to be interesting. Um, sleepless nights again, 
bike change nappies come July. So, yeah, <laughs> we'll just see how that plays out. I think that at the moment I train five days a week, so I've got one cardio day and then four days of bodybuilding and strength training, or powerlifting uh, as the main focus. I think when the baby comes, I'll be lucky to get like two or three days in, you know, um, but just gonna have to make it work. Just make it work, and I think what I've learned now from you know having Evie is being able to prioritise like the components of training that are the most important for your progress, which tends to be your big compound lifts and the things like the assistance stuff just has to dwindle. And although that does have a negative impact because like the assistance lifts are there to assist that you know whatever you're doing, um, it's also like you get like 90% of what you're you're going to get from just doing the big lifts and, and the first 30, 40 minutes of exercise. So you can condense your training and you can keep eking out tiny little bits of progress. Um, it's not maximum progress, but you can still keep moving forward. Um, so yeah, that's really going to be the goal in 2024. Um, juggling it with a newborn baby and a kid that's got to school. It's going to be fun. <laughs> It's gonna, it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be stressful. <laughs> uh, anyone out there who's done it, I am all ears for any tips. Um, but in general, you know, juggling fitness or any goals with kids, I, uh, I think juggling everything. I'll finish the, the the podcast on this. Juggling anything in life is really just about having a priority ladder and really having a, a conversation with yourself. Like, what is if you are to, to die tomorrow, morbid to finish, right? But I'm probably always a positive expression, sure. So if you're, you know, struck by lightning tomorrow, would you be happy with the way that you, that you prioritise things uh, the past week, the past month? Let's go short term. And if you're not, then you need to look at the priority ladder and switch things up. And so for me, um, it was a real adjustment to becoming a dad. And because for me my business was a priority because the business fed me and allowed me to train allowed me to do the things I love doing and then for the first time ever family had to come ahead yeah and so that was really difficult and it still is they, they battle out you know I think for some people like they're just like family boom no worries just jump straight ahead for me it didn't because I, I, I seen how important the business is to the, the whole picture of my life and the family part of my life and supporting it and so head-on collision but I had to have the, a real soul search and be like light strikes tomorrow what's more important it's, it's definitely family and so it's like a tiny little gap <laughs> they almost sit on each other and they have fights all the time but that's kind of where it is and then comes my personal development and my fitness and looking after myself because like if I had that at the top and I spent more time doing that and you know I hadn't achieved things I wanted to do with my business or I hadn't achieved things that I wanted to do with my family I think I'd be upset if I was <laughs> if I was up in the clouds looking down, right? Which obviously doesn't happen. Like you, I think once you kaput, you kaput. So, yeah, it really is. It's just about deciding that those priorities and actually having them written down so you can see them. And really, once you do that, once you can sort of do the admin of working out what the priorities are and how they they formulate, it's then sort of deep breath and and actually living that and feeling that and 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 doing that shit because. If you don't um, sort of live it, breathe it, you know, sort of spiritually absorb that, then 
you can have situations like that where you're constantly fucking stressed out about the fact that you're not performing as good at business because your family's getting in the way or because you're not being a good enough dad because your business is getting in the way or because you're not training the way that you should be or you're not, you know, um, showing up as a husband as, as good as you could be because you're putting other things first because those things are fighting amongst each other there's this big fucking rabble of stress. So you almost have to take the step back, decide these things and then just just deal with it. Like just deal with the fact that it's going to be a level of subpar, right? If you're a maximist kind of person, there's subpar performance in the things that come below that top priority in your life. Yeah. So make sure that you prioritize things. Hopefully this has been a nice lesson and there's been some deep lessons and I will see you in my next video or I'll, I'll be in your log in the next podcast. Catch you later.